my heart. Thank you. Welcome back to another episode of On the Ground with Samaritan's Purse, a podcast taking you to the front lines and behind the scenes of our work around the world. I'm your host, Christy Graham, and what you just heard were sounds of the emergency field hospital that Samaritan's Purse set up in Cremona, Italy, just over a year ago. You probably remember that Italy was one of the first epicenters of the COVID-19 outbreak. When their local hospitals were overwhelmed and unable to keep up with the needs, we deployed an emergency field hospital. We rushed a hospital to Northern Italy along with doctors, nurses, and medical tech. As our teams cared for COVID-19 patients in Italy, the outbreak also escalated in New York City. Less than two weeks after our field hospitals in Italy were set up, Samaritan's Purse deployed a second emergency field hospital, this time in our country. It was the historical moment as it marked the first time that Samaritan's Purse set up a unit in the United States. Our field hospitals in Italy and New York were just the beginning of what became and still is a huge ministry focus. While we continue to charge ahead in the work, I wanted to take a minute to look back. I asked two of our nurses who served in Italy and New York if they would share what God has taught them through this year and the pandemic. You'll recognize their voices because I was able to talk with them while they were deployed. And our conversations then were kind of rushed because they were on the field and needing to get back to work. So I hope you'll be encouraged as we're able to talk a little deeper this time and and look back at what God's done this past year. My name is Anne Galgano. I'm a registered nurse. My specialty um, in my career largely has been surgical trauma intensive care. Um, And I did deploy uh, to Cremona, Italy a year ago for the COVID-19 outbreak. My name is Shelly Kelly, and I am a family nurse practitioner. Um, I do um, a couple of things. Sometimes with Samaritan's Purse, as a member of the disaster assistance response team, I um, function as a provider taking care of patients uh, as they suffer wherever we are in a disaster. And then other times, as in New York City, I will function as a bedside nurse, as an RN, because I do have experience in critical care and in the ICU um, arena in my previous nursing experience. So um, it just really depends on the disaster, what I do, um, where I'm at. Anne Galgano and Shelly Kelly are two of our incredible disaster responders. They bravely answered the call to respond to COVID-19 with Samaritan's Purse. In the beginning, there was very little known about the virus and how it spread. And so fear was circulating and there were so many unknowns. Yet they said yes. They both wanted to serve in Jesus' name. So it's under great classes right now. Oh, wow. That's, that's the track. Wow. Yeah, so it's almost, we're talking to the day, it's almost one year ago that the planes deployed and your team set up to help the epicenter at that time of the, the COVID-19 outbreak. So let's let's go back to that one year ago. So you get that call and we, we've talked many times about how COVID is different than the other responses you guys have gone to because typically you're going to a disaster, leaving safety. But here you are, I mean, COVID, and I don't know where where you're from in the United States, but 
depending on where you're from, it could have been pretty hot spot too. So here you are leaving, you know, family and friends in the COVID world as well, going to a hot spot. So what was that like getting that call? Well, first of all, our team stands ready. Mm -hmm. um, for example, I have a bag packed behind me ready to go <laughs> at pretty much any moment. We expect to deploy quickly, particularly for uh, my team, it's medical, um, to health-related disasters. And hearing what we had been hearing on the news, um, I remember hearing on NPR, the conditions that Italy was facing with ventilator shortages, um, staff, professionals becoming sick, and all that you were hearing, I felt that it was a matter of time mm -hmm. um, and it was expected that we would, if we were invited and had the resources that matched their needs, um, that we would be on the first flight out as soon as um, that call was made to invite us. I was ready um, to leave everything quickly here. I live in North Carolina, by the way, um, here in North Carolina, and to respond. I do remember someone telling me when I was um, in Greensboro, but preparing to, to fly out, someone who lives here in the U.S. was telling me that I should stay here in the U.S. because conditions were going to um, deteriorate here um, as it was in Europe. And they were encouraging me to stay here in the United States. And so you're right when you say that there's this inner conflict mm -hmm. of leaving a disaster to arrive at a, the same disaster. Um, but trusting that Samaritan's Purse responds to areas with the most urgent needs and that they continually assess where the greatest suffering mm -hmm. is. I trusted that Italy was where Samaritan's Purse decided the greatest need was. So I thought I was gonna be going to Italy um, and I was preparing to deploy to Italy when I got the call and they said that I was rather going to be deployed to New York City, kind of rerouted um, for the same reason for the COVID outbreak, but I would be in New York City. And I was actually um, pretty shocked by that because, um, yeah, the United States really and then New York City. And then they told me they were going to be setting up our field hospital in Central Park and that was just really, really surprising and different for me. But I was excited to serve my own people here within the United States and interested to see what that kind of a deployment was going to look like, since this is obviously not um, a third world country type situation. These doctors and nurses on our Disaster Assistance Response Team, or DART, took a leap of faith. But they were also equipped and empowered with many past experiences that allowed them to run into the battle of COVID-19. That must be so hard because the Bahamas, you know, after the hurricane, it was a different response, you know? And so now you're, you're responding to something. And I feel like, you know, at the time, COVID-19 was so unknown. People didn't know a whole lot, not that they were grasping for straws, but, you know, Samaritan's Purse was able to use experience with Ebola and other infectious mm -hmm. diseases 
to give them almost, I feel like you guys had confidence and strength in what the Lord had done in prior responses to move forward. Am I, am I right? Like, Yes, I would say that particularly, as you mentioned, Ebola mm-hmm. um, really establishes an extremely mm-hmm. high level of infection prevention and control policy. Mm-hmm. And so when you start with that high um, level of infection prevention, um, you can enter a new infectious disease uh, with confidence because our policies are so, so strict and so thorough and so methodical that it's become very natural, I think, to practice with such caution. And so, yes, I had deployed in 2019 um, to the Democratic Republic of the Congo for the Ebola outbreak um, as a nurse and then clinical director and then the team leader of the project. And so it was personally very ingrained in me to have those eyes for what you can't see, for you can't see these organisms, but you can cover all the relevant areas with chlorine and take off your PPE in such a way that there's no opportunity for that organism Mm -hmm. to have access to your body. And so that's ingrained in you in Ebola. Yeah, I had experience with cholera. And then also I um, had responded in the Congo treating Ebola patients as well. And um, so a lot of that did apply. A lot of our PPE, our personal protective equipment and how we donned, um, put on our equipment and took it off, doffed. Uh, was the same. So that was extremely helpful in New York City when we were responding to COVID because we kind of had a background in what um, the infectious disease looked like and how it spread and how we could stop that through PPE. So like you said, you had experience, but obviously this was still new. Um, How did your team handle those early days? You know, the uncertainty. And like you said, you didn't know what you would have. You ended up having kind of a similar setup, but I'm I'm sure there were still um, some things that set you off. And I guess you explained this a little bit in the episode that we talked last year, but now looking back, how did you see God's provision and protection on your team in those early days? I think uh, God's provision and protection was absolutely amazing. And you're right. It was different looking back on it than it was actually walking Mm -hmm. through it at the time. Because, you know, looking back, we could see that God had put um, prayer warriors in place here within the United States, as well as around the world. And because we had um, our own ministry people like the Billy Graham um, chaplains there and our um, our own member care teams that were there to support us. And um, God just really provided a lot of prayer support um, through them and through churches all over the United States and around the world to get us through that time, provided staffing for us. He provided equipment. You know, you just think about God. Um, a lot of times, or I do, as providing things for us on a spiritual level and giving us strength to get through certain situations. But in this case, in New York City, you know, he provided 
um, the ability for us to set up this um, tent hospital in the middle of Central Park, which is, you know, kind of mind blowing and probably wouldn't have happened um, without his provision. He provided equipment like ventilators um, and suction and all the minute little things that we need to make things work. He provided for us as well. During that time, our Samaritan's Purse medical staff saw patient after patient. With God's help, they provided around-the-clock care to the sickest of the sick in Italy and New York. 281 patients were treated in Italy, and 335 were treated in New York. These patients were given the highest quality care and attention, and they also made a huge impact on our nurses and doctors. And as we're talking, I'm sure that there's many, but do you have like a personal... um, story of a patient, you know, from either any of your trips um, that, you know, you just really connected with and you saw God move mountains and heal somebody? Man, yes, I do. Um, Yeah, this brings it, makes my eyes a little wet um, Mm -hmm. because it was so amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Long story short, Mm -hmm. um, there was a patient in Italy. He was in his 50s, is in his 50s. And he required intense one-on-one care. He was able um, to get that attention that he needed physiologically, because again, he had comorbidities. And not only that, but he couldn't participate uh, because of his cognition. He couldn't participate in his care in the way that is very necessary for a COVID patient. Even just coughing um, on command is that simple task is crucial to surviving COVID. Hmm. We ended up um, having a tracheostomy placed in him. And my one goal, like, and my dreams, I would, I was working at night, even when I was sleeping, got like in my dreams, I was just dreaming about ventilators and how to help get these patients off ventilators. Cause I primarily manage the airways and, and ventilators. Um, and he was heavy on my heart because he couldn't advocate for himself. And I desperately wanted to be able to take that tracheostomy out of him before he, before we left. I remember I was praying so much, like it was down to the wire and I was assessing on a, the Thursday before we were meant to leave to see, is it going to be safe to remove this before really soon? So it can be removed and he can be monitored. So I remember assessing him on that Thursday, um, by covering his, um, trach to hear what air movement sounded like and to feel what it felt like. And I felt defeated. I felt like I'm not going to be able to get this out because it wasn't, I was, you know, pressed for time. He, it didn't sound um, adequate. It didn't feel to me like I could take it out. And so I remember taking the next day off. I remember taking Friday off and being like, I've done what I can do for everyone. I've taken everyone off the ventilator that can be taken off the ventilator. I've removed all the tracheostomies that are safe to remove. I'm gonna take a day and really rest. So I came back on Saturday 
right? And my goal would be to get it out by Monday if we were to take it out because I wanted at least 48 hours or more to monitor him before we had to send our patients, discharge or transfer our patients. There was no good reason for me to try again by, by covering his trach site to hear and feel the air movement because I'd already given up. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason I just casually without even thinking about it, maybe because it's second nature at this point covered his trach. And I remember feeling a miracle has happened. Like he is moving air perfectly, even though I'm covering his trach and it feels adequate to me. Mm. And so it was game on again, no more days off. I'm like super focused again on trying to get his, his trach removed. And so I made a very intense airway plan for him for the next 24 to 48 hours to assess um, the adequacy of his airway without, if we were to remove it. I just love that story so much. God truly worked a miracle in that man's life and Anne got to witness it. I love that God didn't just heal him, but he also allowed our team to be able to witness it. They were there in the moment of victory and they got to celebrate his release. And it wasn't just the patients who were being cared for, it was their families as well. One of the most difficult things about COVID-19 is the isolation from family and friends. These patients come into the hospital and they have no contact with their family and friends. And so our medical team made it a priority to keep them updated. They went so far as FaceTiming them to update them on their loved one's treatment plan. Anne and Shelley represent so many of our amazing medical staff, and they worked hard to use tools that God had equipped them with as nurses to show God's love through medical care. Now looking back, they can recognize what God has done in and through them. Yeah, I think that's um, an interesting point because absolutely we, um, we, I felt a little bit out of control. Mm. You know, when I was treating patients uh, with COVID, whether that be in New York City or other places, um, we just didn't feel like we were able to do enough. And yet... um, it's not us who works. Mm. It's it's Christ working through us. And I think I learned that, that just resting in Him and allowing His um, plan to unfold through me was probably the safest place that I could be at that time. So mm. I think it's just important at this point, looking back a year later, to remember that... Um, Yes, God definitely has a plan, but His plan is still unfolding. People are still grieving the loss of their loved ones that may have even passed away, you know, a month ago or a year ago that that they still, even after all this time, need to be reminded that Jesus loves them and that He's holding them through this difficult time and that this journey of grief, even though it may not be over, mm-hmm. um, is something that will lead us back to Christ and who He is because He's the one who really supplies our strength, Mm. Um, not just during the critical moments, but all the moments afterwards as well. Being an eyewitness of very vivid suffering, it changes how you even pray. Um, It changes how you view your own health 
Mm -hmm. um, your own resource access, um, it changes how you view even vaccinations and, and provisions. Um, that changes my gratitude. It, it raises my gratitude. Mm -hmm. It raises my desire to return to those places um, that doesn't have um, access to, whether it's education or materials or things like that, um, or science that I have access to. So it makes me want to return to those places. It, mm -hmm. it, it makes me want to convey to my fellow citizens what I witnessed um, in other places and to raise everyone's um, concern and prayers, advocacy for God's world. Um, I, I've just really seen more and more like how being able to travel, I get to see what God sees in other places. Mm -hmm. You know, God's eyes are always seeing everything mm -hmm. on the earth. Um, and he's given me the ability to see some of what he sees around the world. And I feel a great responsibility to tell, to tell people um, what, what's happening in God's world. That's so true. I know as you were talking, I thought of Bob Pierce, you know, the founder of SP, mm -hmm. um, you know, he said, break my heart for what breaks yours. You know, mm -hmm. it's like you have, you've seen things around the world that breaks God's heart. This past year, Samaritan's Purse has gone to the hardest hit places to provide hope and healing. And these two field hospitals were just the beginning of what became a huge focus for the ministry. In total, Samaritan's Purse has deployed five emergency field hospitals to fight COVID-19. We have trained more than 6,000 healthcare workers around the world in infection prevention control. And we have launched more than 100 projects in 28 countries that are directly related to the virus. It's been a busy year, but it's God who sustains us. I know from past experience and from each deployment that He will give me the strength to do what it is that He wants me to do. And that, you know, if I just love on the person in front of me, I think that's important. I want really everybody to hear that, that Jesus just asks us to love on the person in front of us mm -hmm. in a way that He would do it. Um, and I think with that, the scripture that I have relied on for the entire last year has been 2 Timothy 1.7 that says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and a sound mind, strength, love, and a sound mind. And I think that's important as we um, go to different responses in different cultures under different circumstances, because we have to remember that God is our strength and He is the one that is giving us the ability to love. Mm -hmm. um, and He will protect our minds and our hearts as He um, calls us to different places to serve different people. And He'll give us the words to say when we are in the situation where we're just loving and sharing, um, sharing Christ with others in their time of need. You know what came to my mind a lot <clears throat> is um, the story of David and Goliath, hmm. because I know, especially, particularly in Italy, in that ICU, I felt like David. Hmm. Um, I felt like all I had was, you know, this little pebble, this little ventilator, you know, this hmm. little medication that might work, you know, these little things. 
Um, but Goliath, um, was COVID, you know, um, is huge. It, it was, um, overwhelming the body and overwhelming our world. Hmm. And I felt like, um, I was reminded a lot of, of the David and, and Goliath story, mm-hmm. how God used, um, you know, God used an unlikely, mm-hmm. um, individual to, uh, face and to have victory over something very, very big. Um, because in that ICU initially, I felt like the odds were against there being any survivors from our ICU because of what you heard statistically um, of there being uh, the outcome of patients who were on ventilators. Mm-hmm. I felt like, <laughs> I remember the very first day we opened March 20th, that evening, I, I saw how sick the patients were. And I was like, we're not going to win. Like I felt defeated. I felt, I felt like um, Goliath was going to, Mm-hmm. beat David in that moment. But then, um, seeing how, yeah, we prayed, we prayed every day for our patients before we touched our patients and we prayed with our patients, you know, and we, we were able to get 11 of our patients off the ventilators. Um, and so I was home just in shock when I came home. Um, and so overjoyed and so pleasantly surprised at, um, the outcomes that we saw there. Yeah, I just remember watching some news videos from from the staff there and they just were devastated, you know, just yeah. nurses weeping because they hadn't seen victory. And when you bring up Dave and Goliath, I do love that passage and I didn't think about it correlated to COVID. Um, but the reason David was able to go against Goliath, you know, if you recall, like was shepherding, you know, when he did his normal job and he was able to defeat lions and bears, you know, through the confidence of the Lord. And that's what he went before Saul with was, mm-hmm. I can go. And Saul said, who are you? A little kid, you can't do this. And he mm-hmm. said, yeah, you know, because of the Lord's power in me, I defeated lions and bears. And so I know I can defeat him. So he had mm-hmm. that confidence. And I think of you, mm-hmm. you had confidence, um, I mean, in your flesh and in your, your, your skills and your, you know, your knowledge of nursing, but also your, your experiences in, with Ebola, you know, going into Cremona, I think of you like the Lord prepared you, you know, the lions and the bears in your life um, physically, but also spiritually. I love hearing their hearts and I love allowing you to see who Samaritan's Purse is sending to the front lines. They have both been so brave and responded on so many deployments this year. And yet they're so humble, giving God the glory and honor. Ann and Shelley both have the right with their degree and their experiences to brag and boast on their accomplishments, but they don't. They shared over and over about how God gives them the strength and the wisdom. And both of them shared that their number one prayer request is that God would make himself real to those around us and that we would remain faithful and unified in sharing Christ to others. As I talked with Ann and Shelley, and I read statistics earlier about what Samaritan's Purse has done, I want to reiterate that it is God who gets the glory. We, we only boast in the Lord for what He's done, not in our own works. And so I want to read 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from human perspective. Not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We thank the Lord for the opportunity to serve around the world during this time of crisis. In the hardships and loss, we strive to bring hope and healing in Jesus' name, and we boast in the Lord. This year, I know that everyone has suffered and lost something. And so whether you're reflecting on what God has taught you or you're grieving the loss of a family member or somewhere in between, I want you to know that you are not alone. God sees you and He knows you. And although this last year has been hard, our God sits on His throne. If you or someone you know is struggling, if you have a question or you just want someone to pray with you, I want you to know about the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association prayer line. It is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And you can call at any time if you just need someone to listen to, someone to pray with you. There will be someone ready and willing and honored to pray with you. You can call 1-888-388-2683. Please, if you are struggling and you don't have someone to talk to, call this hotline. You do not need to suffer alone. I'll include the details in the show notes as well. Thanks so much for tuning in and may God bless you.